Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet, possibly ever. I don't know. In in the history of man, you know, there's no medieval podcast or ancient Greek podcast that could possibly compare to this one. Yeah, I mean, it's a short uh, short window of uh, history here we were competing with, and you know, we're we're up there, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> anyway, up until up until Elon Musk starts his own anime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, getting straight into it, huh? I will gladly put our podcast against anything Elon Musk would be putting out, but uh, be careful; he'll call you a pedophile. Uh, anyway we, do, we all watch anime so ouch well, anyway uh. um we have a fun show planned uh we're continuing our kind of a format change experiment here this week so we're going to be uh rotating in some different shows to talk about with uh some different people and uh so with me today uh i have iro hi uh, we have Zig. Hello. And uh, we have Aqua. First discussion point of the day. Is hentai important? <laughs> sure, why not? I, I feel like every word in that sentence needs to be defined before you can give an answer <laughs> to that. I mean, like, let's say that it has fostered the career of many important manga artists over the years. It's so important to Baraya to walk back their guidelines. <laughs> yes. Are we counting... Uh, would we count Devilman Crybaby? <laughs> Devilman Crybaby is art. Yeah, th- it's clearly art. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I, I, just wa- I, just, <laughs> I just watched that, everyone out there listening uh, recently, so uh, that's yeah. still on my brain for a bit. But uh, anyways. Definitely art. <laughs> um, uh, before Scar- we begin... How many pairs of scare quotes are on that word? <laughs> mm, let's say not. Let's say so many that I would probably have trouble articulating them in a two-hour podcast. But let's sure. go. Um, also, before we start, I would like to say uh, R.I.P. Missile the Dog. Uh, basis of much love, Missile the Dog in Ace Attorney and Ghost Trick. Uh, you will be missed. R.I.P. R.I.P. Missile. Yeah. Shutakumi's Pomeranian. Yes, Shutakumi's Pomeranian. Pouring out, uh, out for Missile. Yeah. It's a good thing the damn dog is dead because now we can go back to making good games. Ooh. Ooh. Ghost, Ghost Ooh. Trick's real good. I, yeah, so Ghost I saw, Trick is also like 10 years old. It's true. <laughs> I saw a tweet the other day that was like, everybody loves Ghost Trick, but nobody wants yes. to spoil Ghost Trick, so everybody just tweets, play Ghost Trick, it's really good, and nothing else ever. <laughs> like, you can't say why Ghost Trick is good. Uh, uh. That's true. By the way, listeners, you should play Ghost Trick. I never did get around to that. <laughs> I was that iOS that iOS version is completely fine. Yeah, that's, I that, that was I, I I had downloaded it and I just never got around to actually playing it. Someday, perhaps. Is hey, it still compatible with the current operating system? I I think it went down for a while and then they updated it to being a sixty four bit app. I guess everybody um, check that out. Um, okay, so uh, a lot of things we want to talk about this episode and i want to kick things off with a little bit of an update on the uh, crunchyroll funimation high dive situation which continues to change by the minute apparently um 
I mean, just call it by what it is. Betrayal. <laughs> betrayal. <laughs> Top 10 anime betrayals. Um, Funimation. But, uh, Funimation and the quest for more money in another world with my big partner, Sony, or whatever. <sighs> yeah, so... Um, just this morning, Crunchyroll announced their own kind of dub initiative, which included shows dubbed by Funimation. So I don't know if they're going to continue to be working in some capacity together. I have no idea what's happening anymore. There are only um, so many dub studios in the States. How crazy yeah. would it be if they're planning to redub that stuff? Like, how mad well, no, would that no be? No way. Th- th- no, no, they did specifically... I, I, didn't re- I didn't really get dig too deep into it, but it, they did say that some of them were being dubbed by Funimation specifically. So, like, I, I don't think they're redubbing. I think they're just finding... Crunchyroll seems to be doing as much damage control in this situation as they possibly can, um, even though it's, you know, not really their fault, but, you know, they're obviously affected. But uh, that seemed to be what this mostly looked like. I don't even know if it was really changing any of their current plans or whatever. But anyway, that's the latest bit of that. But what I did want to just confirm for everyone, what we do know for sure, is uh, the Funimation... Uh, shows have been removed from Crunchyroll. So all the backlog shows that they added, like uh, Nichi Joe and, you know, my personal Yuyu favorite. Show. Good riddance. Bimbo Gamiga. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop. Good riddance. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unpopular opinion, folks. Uh, many of us here at the Glory of Vlog think Cowboy Bebop is somewhat overrated at best. Or perhaps I mean, very overrated at best. It but, is uh, still a very good show. Yes. But... This is not the conversation we want to be having right now. Yeah, yeah anyway, let, let's let's keep this moving here. So Funimation shows have been removed from Crunchyroll. The Funimation channel has been removed from VRV. On the flip side, the High Dive channel has been added to VRV with the <laughs> goal of having uh, all of the High Dive shows available by the end of this month. Cool. And perhaps more interestingly, uh, we... Have, are starting to see some of the shows being shared on both platforms, which they didn't announce was going to happen, but it appears to be what they're doing. So uh, High Dive announced that they are doing uh, Run With The Wind, which is still currently airing on Crunchyroll, so you can watch it on both platforms. And Crunchyroll picked up some kind of odd random choices for, from the High Dive backlog. Uh, they've added uh, Magic of Stella and Long Riders. I'm sure you guys remember those shows, right? Long, long riders. What? That so, was the cute girls ride bikes. Show, yes, right? both, huh, both I don't of, remember that at all. Both of those shows were um, cute girl club comedies that were so generic oh, that I literally copied and pasted uh, the <laughs> first looks to see if uh, anybody was paying attention. I mean, I did that for what? I did that for like Failure Night and Asterisk War or something. I, I've done it. I think Magic of Stella was the first time I did it, and then I've been copying and pasting that first look on <laughs> all these shows since then. Um, and Long Riders was one of them. So that in itself, not super exciting, but this is kind of how they started the thing with, with Funimation, where they kind of randomly grabbed a couple shows, and then they started bringing more and more like actually good shows over. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of encouraging. We're one step closer to uh, yeah. seeing Legend of the Yeah, Kira's I was going to say, we'll crunch <laughs> soon will we have... Legend of the Galactic Heroes of Legend of Glory Heroes fame on Crunchyroll. Yes, what it's be- the, what the series is best known for, of course, is your podcast. But uh, yeah, so um, again, a bit of a silver lining with the High Dive partnership, but sad to see those Funimation shows go. And uh, we'll we'll see how things continue to develop. 
I'll be really interested to see if, like, because when Funimation and Crunchyroll entered this uh, partnership, like, the idea was explicitly that Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll would do the licensing and Funimation would do the dubbing, basically. And I think I'm going to be interested to see if, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, uh, if Funimation want to get back into, like, simul, simulcasting stuff. You know, like I would be shocked if they didn't. Yeah, but doesn't that kind of go against their ethos to have like everything dubbed and presentable to a to an English speaking audience and stuff like that? So, uh, one more thing that did get announced also either today or yesterday was kind of interesting. I didn't realize when they did this partnership, they pulled all the subtitled versions of those shows off of Funimation services, so you had to watch them on Crunchyroll. And they have now put those put them back on Funimation. So Funimation is back in the subtitle game, basically. <laughs> so uh, I would be shocked if they did not, moving forward, try to get back into licensing new shows as they come out. So I wonder if... Especially the play... with the Sony money behind them. Yeah, I was going to say, I wonder if the play here is just that they're going to try and make Funimation into another Crunchyroll, basically, which is kind of how it was before, you know. Right. Um, that's what they were trying to do, but now they have Sony money backing them. Doesn't Sony so bankroll Aniplex? I so believe like... they are an important, like, uh, shareholders, maybe not the right word, but, like, mm-hmm. they are an influence in that company, I believe. Right. Through, like, mostly through the, like, Sony music stuff, I think. Right. Sure. I haven't looked into it, but, like, I don't know, like, the, the web of the web of weird connections is getting bigger and bigger. And like, you've got stuff like, you know, increasingly Japanese companies just saying, fuck it, we'll do it ourselves in the U S and so far that's only been like mm-hmm. super expensive Blu-ray sales so far, but yeah, it, it's interesting to see like clearly, I, I think it's fair to say over the last five years, especially Japan has really realized that they can, they can, market pretty much anything they produce into the west in some form yeah so and now like you have more and more stuff showing up on like netflix yeah like netflix obviously has a huge amount of money to throw around so it's uh it's interesting times as they say yeah so we'll see how that develops um speaking of netflix mm-hmm. uh our next uh, next thing i wanted to talk about we're kind of debating whether this qualified for an anime podcast, but I think it's fair. It, 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 it's based well, on a Japanese property, I guess. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a bit about uh, season two of the Castlevania animated series, which is produced and exclusively available on Netflix. Yes. Uh, that came out uh, since the, the past episode. As Iroh said, it is a Japanese game series, and I think it's safe to say there is a Fairly they have heavy. it listed under anime. There's a fairly heavy, like, 90s anime influence, even though it's not produced by a Japanese sure. studio. It, um, it, is what, it is what we would have once referred to as anime-esque. Sure. <laughs> uh, and this is the second set of uh, episodes, so season yeah. two. Um, Ira, I think you've so been following no, this I think closer. Set of episodes is a very good description, because I wouldn't buy any... Yeah. Stretch of the imagination called us this season, right? Because how many how many episodes Netflix is it? Right, dumb nomenclature. Like, it's light, 
but like Netflix has completely destroyed the idea of what a season is meant to be. Right. And that's, that's coming from like a background of watching UK TV where a season is like six episodes. Right. But like the, the fact that, the fact that Netflix released four episodes of Castlevania and called it season one and then released eight episodes and called it season two is odd to say the least. Yeah. It's basically just next batch of episodes. So, yeah. Right. Um, Ira, I think you've been following this closer than anyone. So you want to give your uh, sure. hot takes I mean, on this next section? Uh, um, It wasn't that bad. All the, okay, it was bad and it was, it was both bad and not bad. Uh, some parts were good and some parts were bad (laughs) yeah weird Um, (laughs) the like probably the the quote unquote main plot of these heroes are going to go fight Dracula like all the parts that dealt with that were pretty good it's just the problem was like that is a small fraction (laughs) of what season 2 is I, Um, I think it's fair to say the the problem with Castlevania season two is not so much how good is it, but how much of it there is. Right. So I think I posted a tweet or something about this, but um, like 60, 70, 80% of all season two is a lot of talking between Dracula and Dracula's lieutenants about, how do we kill all humans? Dracula ordered us to kill all humans. I guess we should kill all humans. What do you think about killing all humans? I think we should kill all humans this way. Oh, I think we should kill all humans this way. I think we should kill all humans this way. And it's just this pointless blathering for episodes and episodes and episodes that leads nowhere. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that not only does it not lead anywhere, it actively harms the premise of the show because it's very difficult to take Dracula and his army as like this primal force that is out to kill all humans when they're mostly spending their time arguing about the logistics of killing all humans. Like it, it's so, it's almost a comedy how like they've decided to commit genocide and then they just cannot decide how to commit genocide despite the fact that they presumably have like an army of thousands of flesh-eating monsters at their disposal. Right. It's just bizarre. There's like a monkey-biting fish in there. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. It's like they uh, watched Game of Thrones or something and were like, oh, what makes the show good is like politics and wheeling and dealing and talking. A lot of talking. So let's put all that in and people will think it's good and I guess it worked because people are saying season two is good and parts of it are good but not those parts. Like, this is this is what it's eight episodes, right? Yeah. You could conceivably cut this to two episodes. And yeah. Think this should have. That's should, a bad. This should have. This should have been two episodes. Of all the fights are just appended onto the end of the four episodes of season one. Um, uh, I would like to point out, however, um, if it was cut to two episodes, we would lose the undoubted highlight <laughs> of the season, which is uh, Peter Goddamn Stamare playing an evil Viking vampire trying to say fuck in as many different ways as he possibly can. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty fun. So let me ask. Let me yeah, ask. Like, uh, go ahead. Are these related to the games at all, other than just having Dracula? Yeah. Are, they, are they based on specific? This. Uh, <laughs> These seasons have been based on Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse, 
just kind of the first Castlevania game that had any resemblance of plot other than Simon Belmont kills Dracula because it has multiple playable characters and so you can kind of jimmy together but no uh, no somewhat Grant, workable plot. No Grant Dynasty though. No Grant Dynasty. <laughs> the worst worst part of season two is they did not put Grant Dynasty in. Grant I, I will not stand for the systematic removal of Grant Dynasty from Castlevania Canon. I I think one I don't of know the, what you're talking about. He was in Castlevania Judgment. <laughs> oh <laughs> You just know you know exactly what to say to wound me the most. <laughs> so, I, I think one of the most interesting things about this is, in fact, like how much reverence they pay to the source material. Because although like Castlevania Three barely had a plot because it was an NES game, and they follow that basic plot but embellish it greatly, obviously. But there's tons and tons of like weird in jokes or nods or like explicit references to older Castlevania and newer Castlevania games. So, like, both of Dracula's big lieutenants in uh, this series are characters from Curse of Darkness, which is a PS2 game, and nobody remembers the Castlevania PS2 game. Um, yeah. Uh... yeah it was kind of a... Correct me if I'm wrong, Iroh, but it was kind of a pseudo-sequel to Castlevania 3. Yeah. Like, and like there's tons of like references and like nods and winks and like background features and stuff like right. that like, clearly the, the people who made this cared about the games rec- recognizable enemies from the games show up like yeah. slogger and gaibon show up karasu band shows up yeah <laughs> they play bloody tears that's right they finally pulled actual Castlevania music for the show for one scene so uh, when are they doing Symphony of Night? Is that next? Uh, season three has been confirmed, but like I don't know what it's supposed to be. The ending of season two seems to strongly imply that they're going to tell an original story centered around some of those Curse of Darkness characters. That would be. Uh, uh, I guess you're right. That would be dumb. I don't know. I mean, like, like they totally set that up. Right. Yeah, I feel like the strength of Castlevania is being able to just jump a hundred years later and have a totally new stuff but i i mean i I think what everybody would want them to do would be to do like the one-two punch of rondo of blood and symphony of the night which are like the two most famous and storied castlevania installments Mm -hmm. but also like once you've done symphony of the night that's kind of as high as you can go in terms of castlevania stuff so could always make an original story about the war of 1999 all right let's uh look at it look at it this way Look at it this way. There are only two characters in that show I want to see again, and they're the exact two characters that are not going to return next season. (laughs) Trevor and Saifa? Yes. Yeah, that's true. What about Peter Stamare? I'd watch a Peter Stamare spin-off where he's just like drinking a lot and talking about how he wants to have sex with vampires and saying <laughs> fuck a lot basically everyone in that show just says fuck all the time yes, indeed uh now the card i i think like the the key strengths from season one remain in that like they they nail the characterization pretty well like i like alucard a lot because he's just an unbearable git and um that's like precisely the kind of characterization you want in alucard and like trevor and cypher and everybody are uh, all fine like one of my biggest problems with it though is that like it is perhaps the least threatening version of dracula ever 
he just sits around in his sad room being sad all the time. <laughs> and like it it's it's a little underwhelming. Like they get it together for the end where he has like a cool fight, but it's def- also Dra- like spoilers. Dracula does not transform into like an eight-headed beast. Oh yeah, that's kind of bullshit. Time, which is kind of bullshit. Let's be honest. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's worth a watch, especially if you enjoy the games. Yeah, it seems to have enough of a kind of fun ref- reference factor, I guess. Yeah, there's some fun fan servicey yeah. stuff in there. You know, like, like I said, the references and the nods and winks and jokes all that kind of stuff no no grant the nasty somehow (sighs) anyway um yeah so we'll see how the next uh block goes but uh yeah be prepared to wait like another two years or something it it, it hasn't been that long since the first one right it's been like like 18 months so we'll see all right um next thing i wanted to talk about i want to revisit something we talked about last week or last episode, I should say it's been two weeks uh, when we were talking about Surine, um I said some mean things about Kyoto animation, <laughs> uh, mostly in regards to how I feel like their most recent projects have been kind of empty and soulless and how, you know, I'm not sure, you know, some of the new staff they've brought on seem to be, it's almost like they have a, a factory of directors that are cranking out these kind of big and empty projects. And, uh, you know, Aqua, you had a couple of, uh, counterpoints on the post after that went up that I thought would, might be yeah. worth talking about. So you want to kind of share your thoughts on that? Well, there's a couple of things, right? First of all, I think, there are there's this, the things that I just think are looking that we're only looking at them from the perspective of the now that people say Kyo Ani's show now is not good their previous show was not good and therefore ultimately conclude that they have been bad for quite some time now uh, which is something I disagree with because uh, if you look at Kyo Ani's actual cinematography. Uh, not cinematography, uh, catalog, catalog, back catalog, bibliography, whatever. Um, there, this this kind of soulless melancholy show has never been their formula. People only call it their formula now because they've made two shows in a row that are like that. If you look at the show they made before Violet Evergarden, that was Dragon Maid, which was anything but that. Uh, Dragon Maid also not a show I liked, but it was not this formula. Right, and you have, then you have stuff formula. like Sound you have stuff like Tomico Market. Not mm, this formula. Yeah. All of this stuff. I mean, is there any? If there's any formula Kyohani had at one point, it is quirky, clumsy girls doing cute things. <laughs> so this idea that they all make these beautiful, majestic, sweeping, melancholy thing uh, shows about apathetic teenagers. That's just a very recent thing. That's That just happens to be the two most recent shows they've done. But I don't think there is any formula to detect here at all. Um, second of all, speaking of the, the, the back catalog, I think Kyoto Animation are generally held to a higher standard than other studios are. There is no other studio we expect to deliver an instant classic 
every single time they produce something. If you look at like uh, if you look at Gainax, even like original Gainax at the height of their popularity, oh, even yeah. they made a lot of jobbing stuff. Like they jobbed, they jobbed. No, no, like no nobody, t- nobody talks about their like random shit. Like yeah. um, no one talks about worlds. <laughs> Yeah. No one talks about Hanamaru Kindergarten. <laughs> uh, to, be, to be fair, that was once we already knew Gainax had fallen apart. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. that was late Gainax oh, indeed. No, wait, uh, Hanamaru Kindergarten was actually before Panty and Stockholm was yes, Oh, God. It was. It was. <laughs> so the point is, they need to job. They need to job even more than other studios do because they actually pay their employees a fair wage. Yes. So, obviously, they need to pay the bills. They need to get bread, or in this case, rice, on the table. And (laughs) for that, you sometimes need to pick up a project that you can't put everything into, that you can't put one of your A-list directors on. And that is the opportunity to train some new people or to give that guy who you have under contract, who you know isn't very good, but he's under contract, so you need to give him something. Uh, I'm not mentioning any names here. (laughs) You mean definitely not the name of the guy who directed Myriad Colors Phantom World, then? I'm not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to give them, you know, their project. And for people to say, oh, oh, QNE are bad now, based on on the fact that they have been doing these kinds of projects as of late, uh, while all the while completely ignoring that they have been making fantastic movies that have been critically acclaimed all over the board um at the which people generally don't pay attention to because they only air in japan or in theaters here and so they're yeah. not part of like general streaming market oh, i don't know how much uh, critical acclaim the chunibyo movie got but yes uh, no i'm I, I mean in this case i'm mostly talking about uh, silent voice and uh, liz and the bluebird yeah so, so let me but... let me just uh respond to some of that because i think that's all very true and fair so you know i think what i think what the issue is is the perception based on the amount of time it's taking for them to get stuff out so yeah. if you look at if you look at like the all the shows we talked about and the the um part of it is the movie factor like you said because the movies you know we're, we're all kind of disconnected from the movies because of you know how they're released and also, it's just a movie is just less content than a series. And if you put out one or two yes. movies at, you know, 90 minutes a piece per year, that's not the same as putting out, you know, four 12 episode, you know, series. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, their TV content, if you look at the past couple of years, let's, if you go back to 2015, the only show they made was Sound Euphonium. Um, Yes. In, uh, 2016, I think they only did like two shows. 2017, Dragon Maid was the only show they did, and that was like at the beginning. Yes, Dragon Maid was almost but two I years think, ago. Um, I think that is the reality of the industry. If we want fair practice, if we want people to get properly paid for the work they do, if we don't want them to have to work impossible schedules and work impossible deadlines, this is what it's going to look like. One anime, a studio makes one or two anime per, per year. And I think, like, that's probably it's the same thing with the with the whole Red Dead Redemption A Triple A games controversy. Like, it's it's got me thinking a lot that maybe this kind of game, like Red Dead Redemption, simply 
isn't possible without people being exploited. And if we don't want people to be exploited, we're going to have to sacrifice that and settle for something less impressive. I, I mean, let me give my response to that, which is, firstly, I think you're absolutely right in that regard. But it's difficult because, like, I'm trying to separate Kyoto Animation, the studio, the entity, the employer of a large number of people, from Kyoto Animation, the person who makes the cartoons we're talking about, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't have an issue with Kyoto Animation, like Kyoto's move towards like you know a higher quality, less regular schedule. You know, like I don't have an issue with their focus on movies. I like. The key thing I'm trying to express here is that I don't, I personally am not interested in the direction that the studio is taking. And like that, that's a very important distinction because it doesn't yeah. mean that I don't support them and it doesn't mean that the work isn't good. The only other thing I would say is that you're absolutely right. Kyoani have not made that many like sad, meaningful teenagers looking for purpose in life stuff, you know. But we kind of all immediately assumed that they had, and that mm-hmm. that tells you something, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I feel that like the house style is kind of embedded more in more than just like the very specific tropes of Sarune. You know, it's it's more. Think, of, sorry, please go on. No, I think it's more like a thing of like this is like people see something and it meets their expectations not because it's something they're used to from Kiyoani but because it's something they can see Kiyoani making in their like they it's not like I, I've seen them make this exact show before but it is it's more like oh of I course can, they'd make something like yeah, that yeah yeah well, basically and I think that and, comes and, and from uh, um, I, I think this might have been where Zig was headed those things that we criticize like Sirene 4 are things that have been in other Kyoani shows for many years now. Like you can go back to like Kaon season two and they have that kind of melancholy kind of yeah, stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah, other yeah. things that kind of kind of gave the show more personality, whereas Sirene is kind of like the ultimate yeah. endpoint for all that. So we've seen those things before and it feels like we've been heading in this direction. And perhaps maybe only the last two shows have really been that's like the most notable uh feature of the show or whatever but and i think it is it is more noticeable because um kiyoani are actually one of the few studios that have a distinct personality you can immediately recognize a kiyoani anime whether it is a comedy or a drama or whatever and and just as a corollary to that oh i butchered that um they're one of the few studios who are prominent enough among the fan base to have their name ahead of a show's title rather than underneath it if that makes sense yeah 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 and I think in that regard, I, I always have to bring up the, the comparison with Trigger, because Trigger are the only other studio that have this kind of impact in the West and are also have a certain style you associate them with, even though not every single show they make is the same, but you can still look at a Trigger show and say, oh, yes, of course, this is definitely yes. something Trigger would make. And in that regard, I often experience, and this is maybe a person with, like, that people give Kiyoani flack for the same stuff they praise Trigger for. 
I mean, it's because in... Trigger, it's because Trigger are quote unquote doing cool shit. Yeah, that is the I... thing. That is the exact thing I'm talking about. When people say, huh, "Kyoani always make the same show," what they're actually saying is Kyoani doesn't make the show that I want to see. They yeah. indeed do not make the kind of show that Trigger makes, but they do make a wide variety of shows that are I... not that, but are, are also not the same. I, I mean, like, I would I would like to push back a little bit, which is as someone who is perhaps uh, not Trigger's hugest fan, like, I feel like they've made maybe one or two good shows tops. Um, and, like, who who liked a lot of QA work and continues to like a lot of QA work, I do feel that recent QA shows have not been great. And again, no, we are, we are talking. True. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, and so like it's di- like it's always difficult. Like we're trying to walk the line between these crit- critiques are unfair, but these critiques are fair, if that makes sense. And everything you're saying is right, but also I haven't enjoyed some of the shows recently. And both yeah. of those things can be true at the same time. Yes, that is true. And I think, but I think that you know the, the those things. One thing does not cause the other. I think the cause for the decline, if I can call it that. The I wouldn't say it's a decline in quality, more like the the show's not gelling with us or just let's not. Put, yeah, let's put some heavy inverted commas around decline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean that is due, I think, to two things. One is a kind of a brain drain, as in most of their talents are moving on to movies, and this is the new staff doing stuff. And uh, two, it's I've noticed that a lot of these the lesser Kiyoani shows are based on light novels that have won their award. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Whereas like, the better ones are based on outside material, on, on stuff that already right. existed. So when, by handing out this award, they're basically like the prize for that award is basically your show gets turned into a Kiyoani show. You know? Yeah. I think so that they need to like anim- give all these rookie, basically rookie projects, like someone's first light novel that they turned in for this award. And I guess between all of this isekai shit, this is the best thing out of all of this. But then it suddenly gets the like big budget Kiyoani treatment. So everyone keeps thinking that it's like, whoa, this is like the hot new thing in Japan. Maybe, maybe it's probably not. Maybe if Violet Evergarden had been like a mid-tier show produced by like, like Silverlink or something, we would have been like, "This is." We're we're bumping up Silverlink to mid-tier. <laughs> they, I love actually a lot. Um, let's sorry, let's, uh, let's, let's be fair and say A one Productions or something. <laughs> I feel like A one A one's pretty high up there A1's in terms of production. Right, but, you know, yeah, I mean, yes. they made noted smash hit Darling in the Franks. So, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Like we would be, we would definitely be more impressed if Violet Evergarden had not come with the hype of the next big Kyoani yes. show, like yeah. the serious, meaningful Kyoani show. You know, the Kyoani show that is not about. A team of high schoolers you know it might have been easier to overlook its flaws if it yeah. had, if it had been a pleasant surprise rather than a slight like a highly hyped and subsequent slight disappointment yeah so it's a yeah. blessing and a curse and for those new projects i don't think it does them any favors yeah it's... their only original has been tomico market yes like so, everything if else you look at the stuff they've done on all everything else is based stuff on is... yeah Violet Evergarden, Beyond the Boundary, Myriad Colors, Phantom World, like all of the bad stuff, Tsurune, and like 
the, all of the more successful stuff like Dragon Maid and especially Sound Euphonium was based on long-running popular manga and novels that already existed. I mean, I also think it's fair to say that like uh, KyoAni's transformation of any given work is extremely high. Like they, yes. like the they are truly adapting works rather than just regurgitating them. If that makes sense, like especially, especially like for some of the let's say um, more throwaway material. I mean, I'm thinking especially of K on here. But yeah, K on Lucky Star, like where they basically transformed their the entire. Yeah, they transformed the entire like nature of those shows into something a much more suitable for animation but also be like much more impressive than the stuff they were based on i mean and probably nichijo too now nichijo is probably the show that is has evolved the most compared to its manga because, i mean especially because i feel like many of the jokes in nichijo yeah. are reliant on like incredibly good cinematography yeah the actual anime is adapting the manga pretty closely i think it's just that those it, that's a show that needs to be animated like <laughs> that, that, that's like so much of it comes from the visuals. I mean, that I guess like, like uh, but yeah. Um, to to just try and wrap up this uh, this argument, like I think our our criticisms of um, of Kyoani on the last episode were were probably a bit unfair, but they're coming from a place of real frustration, and, mm-hmm. and that is that like it does feel like regardless of not regardless of whether like the argument about a house style or making the same show again is like facetious or accurate you know it definitely feels like on tv at least kyoani have fallen into a groove of nicely produced but perhaps not especially meaningful shows does that sound like a fair critique there so to speak yeah i I, I would say so don't then again i I, I just feel like I would like to see them flex their artistic muscle a little more, yeah. is what I'm saying. And I don't mean in terms of animation, because their products have always looked magnificent, but I, I feel like I would like to... I mean, like not to cannibalise our conversation from later, but we were talking about the comparison between Kyoto Animation and Trigger, and like, tri- like Trigger have tried to move beyond their accepted house style with Gridman to a certain extent mm-hmm. and I think it's one of their most interesting works in years and I'd I mean like... it is number one their most interesting yeah. in my opinion yeah. but... so I, I mean like I'm not necessarily saying I need Kyoto Animation to produce like a super robot show or anything but I, I would like I would be interested to see them flex that talent in, in areas that they have not traditionally been strong in and again that's yeah. just me Offer themselves up to Kunihiko Ikuhara, basically. <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, god, I, that would like, work. I feel that like Ikuhara, work. yeah, Ikuhara directing a Kyoto animation show. All right, all right. Dream combo, you know. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. In, enough about Sarune. Uh, yeah, I'll just add one final thought, and just that you know, I have historically, arguably, been the biggest defender of Kyoto, Kyoto animation out of our group in the past, and I, mean, I you even like their noted black sheet Nichijo. Well, that aside, the uh, so like I, I I think I think you put it well, Zig, in that some of those comments are maybe coming more from frustration because I I have liked their stuff in the past and I I want to see them make good material. Like I don't want to have to say those things. So, um, you know, hopefully, well, we'll have to see what other projects 
I don't I don't even know if they have anything announced currently outside of the movie stuff right now, but we'll we'll see how it I goes. think it's just it's one thing. I think it's another one of their light novel awards thing. Yeah. Oh boy. Great. So we'll see how we'll see how that goes then. But anyway, let's 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 move on. We got a lot more a lot more to talk about. Uh, let's start talking about some of the actual uh, current shows that we're watching, and <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll start with Bloom into You. And um, so you guys have not seen episode six, which just aired like two days ago or something like that. Yesterday, no. Unfortunately, we have not. I have, so we'll kind of dance around that a little bit, but. Um, you know, otherwise, I, mean, I know what happens, but <laughs> other, well, you yeah, you've read the the manga, right? Aquas. Oh, OK, I, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, since we last talk, you know, I feel like the show maybe is the moment to the, good. The, the, the 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 kind of like plot points from episode to episode are not super important. But in general, no, this is the, the big mood show of the season. <laughs> yeah. In general, we've seen uh, we've seen uh, you join decided to join the student council. Uh, we met Maki Kun, who's the biggest shipper in the show, <laughs> except for maybe, except for maybe you's sister. I don't know. Oh, there, uh, there will be even bigger shippers down the line. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> wonderful. And uh, we had, we had uh, Toko Senpai uh, insisting on starting up a stage play for the, uh, the, the school festival for unknown reasons that are touched on in episode six. So, um, also, we saw Eero as a little anime girl. <laughs> that, that, that seems to happen every now and then. Um, <sighs> but yeah, so uh, as Iro was saying, you know, I think the show's been pretty solid so far. But I'll, I want to hear what you guys think. So, uh, you know, what, what do you, how, how are you guys feeling about the show? So I'm still, far? I'm still weirded out by seeing like the weight of Troika's <laughs> like big budget, uh, like look thrown behind like a romance show because <laughs> i associate that i associate troika so strongly with like i'll know zero and recreators uh which are like huge big budget shows that are completely terrible is there anything you would say is distinctive about the style that you recognize I, in bloom it to you it's like a cinematography thing <laughs> i don't mm. know it mm. i don't it's, know how to put it it's um it's very well animated and very well directed um, I don't know if it's like in a particularly distinct way to that studio, but you know, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it when you see it, like in terms of quality, uh, there were a lot of kind of neat cinematic tricks too, in, um, episode six that they were doing with the directing and like kind of showing the characters isolated and then coming together and stuff like that. But I guess you guys will see that when you watch episode six, but, um, I'll, I'll say that um, I have enjoyed the show a great deal more over the past two or three episodes. Now that they've they've clarified a little the precise relationship between the various characters, and we've been able to get down to like some some good solid, <clears throat> you know, uh, actual character drama. And I I feel like and you'd expect this from a character focused show of course but as we've grown to learn the characters a bit more you know grown to learn their quirks i feel like the writing has become more confident um there's been like better jokes better emotional scenes and and i just feel that um whereas i was kind of like uh at the beginning after episode two i was like okay we'll see how this goes i'm now definitely solidly like okay i like this i want to see more of this Aqua, how how my like worry? So go ahead. How how would you say it's stacking up with your expectations? 
having read the. I mean, um, wow, this is yeah, this is now that I think about it, this is actually pretty much the first time I've not been disappointed with a show based on a manga I really like. Um, everything works, so all of the nuance from the manga is in there, um, and the performances are great and stuff like that, but I think what sets this apart from, for instance, because the, the Ancient Magus Bride also had all this, you know, it was exactly the manga that I love, yet nevertheless there wasn't this spark, this magic, uh, and that's because this, this adaptation actually dares to be its own thing. It tries to... Um, come up with new perspectives from a cinematographic viewpoint because most of the dialogue is the exact same as in the manga. Um, but from a cinematographic viewpoint, this tries a lot of new stuff, tries to be its own thing. In episode five, they uh, introduced some like cute cartoony stuff. I think that episode was uh, outsourced to Pine Jam. Uh, Pine Jam is very so good at Being that. all yes. dorky and, and I, I making, like her cute clowny faces and being all fidgety and that's a side of the character you don't really or isn't so pronounced in the manga and i like that they highlight it here so it's i think it's definitely like a step up from the manga the only i think the only way in which it um it falls behind on the source material is that they're never going to be able to finish it and i wouldn't for the life of me know where they can realistically stop is the manga done by the way no no okay. the manga is not done but they have like reached a point now where i would be comfortable saying okay you can end that anime there you know that would be a good ending but they're <laughs> not gonna reach that point at this pace like they're not gonna get there so i'm just wondering where are they going to stop because if they continue like this, we might not even see the play. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, that's uh, that's some pacing. Yeah. Huh? Mm. yeah. I don't know about I, that. Like, I feel like they could, they could always fashion an anime original ending. Like, yeah. I know that's yeah. not cool these days, but you could do it. But the problem is, this is a show that gains so much from being slow-paced from... The characters, I mean, it's called Bloom Into You, you know, it's called very slowly falling in love because that's the whole thing with you's character, right? Uh, right, yes. I know, I know that there's a... A lot of people can identify with it, like the idea that you need to get to know someone truly in order to be able to be attracted to them. I mean, I feel like that is how romance actually works in real yes. life. Yes, right? yeah. Well, you are not attracted yeah. to people you barely know for the most part. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. Some people would disagree, I guess, because there's a whole other term for this, but whatever, let's not go into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is the show's main strength. That is what it is about. It is about not like the... the, the, the I don't want to discredit other shows here, but shallow romance you see in most stories... Where she's where the, like the initial spark is like, oh, this guy is kind of hot, or hey, this girl is kind of cute, and I guess I'm in love with him or her now. Whereas this is really like chronicling that idea of getting to know someone, getting to found a unique bond that only you 
two as individuals could have and from there on realizing that you cannot imagine your life without that person anymore i think this show does a very or this franchise does a very good um <laughs> yeah well show slash manga do a very good job at portraying that i i right. i very much like the idea that that like and again i feel like the fact that this wasn't originally clear is part of the reason why I was a bit uncertain on those early episodes. Mm-hmm. But like the idea that um, you is the main girl, right? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that she, she, she's not necessarily immediately attracted to the other girl, mm-hmm. but she's not yeah. necessarily repulsed either. She's just yeah. kind of clumsily trying to feel her way out as to like what she feels and what she's able what's appropriate to do and what's not appropriate to do and like the fact that she doesn't have an epiphany immediately you know but all of these things are great i'm really invested in the idea of like a long-term character arc like that and i think like like i said that is much more realistic to the way people uh naturally form relationships whether it's romantic or just friendship you know you yeah don't yeah necessarily immediately uh like fall absolutely into sync with people you know you need to learn their idiosyncrasies you need to you know find out the things and even the people you like and even the people you love there's still plenty of things you find annoying or like mm-hmm. irritating about them and i think this show is doing a great job of of portraying that slow learning process as part of establishing a relationship and i think it helps as well that like there there are allowed to be characters other than the main two girls and yeah like to a certain extent you is trying to establish like there's like jealous senpai and there's like what's the name of the boy who just likes to maki kun yeah. yeah like like she's not quite sure how to interact with them either and they don't fall into easy stereotypes for the most part and Mm -hmm. i think the show is very good at showing that like whether these people will ultimately be friends or like i don't want to say foes but you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that like you have to get to learn them before you can make a definitive judgment on that i think that is the thing the show is really good at yeah i mean Based on the already like the thing with the early episodes is is it's kind of a twofold thing. Like first of all, the show is kind of set up like a mystery, almost. <laughs> like no, I mean like the first show ends with it's almost like it ends with a murder. You know, <gasps> a corpse falls out of the closet. Who did it? <laughs> and now it's like oh whoa, this girl just confesses out of me out of nowhere. Why? How come? What's her what's her what's her reason? Right. I mean, like just just to quickly butt in, but we talked about this a lot on the last episode we were both on but the idea that like it has to trade off of stereotypical yuri tropes to get anywhere is kind of a disservice to it yeah yeah yeah. i mean i'm not i don't mean to disservice the show but i think no no i wasn't implying you were i was implying Mm. that the fact that like it has to start like that is a disservice to how interesting it actually becomes but that's the yeah that's the problem when you're operating in a genre that is so I think fragile. <laughs> no, uh, I mean no, my worry has been as in character as as in as in the readership has certain expectations. Right. And once you start to divert from those expectations, you might have the risk of implying things that yeah, I mean, 
people right. don't like, and you're—I mean—you're treading very, very. My, my worry is that it'll just fall here. back and fall back into those at some point, right. and like How not so? have things. I don't know, like. <clears throat> I, based on how the show's gone so far, I don't think it will. I just like there's the like thought mm-hmm. in the back of my mind that oh, like once their relationship reaches a certain point, it will just become like generic faff. You know? Yeah, yeah. That, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean that's also a worry I have, but they've been doing a pretty good job. The last couple of episodes have been exceptionally strong. I feel yeah. like. I mean, and if there's any show, if there's any show that can prove that uh, two characters can still be interesting after they've hooked up and become a couple, I put a lot of faith into this show being that show. You know, yeah, that's encouraging. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if there's one criticism I'd throw in there, and maybe this is just me having a short attention span, but I do feel like it gets a little dry when they get into like the student council stuff. Like, I feel like there was one episode in particular where there was just like way too much uh hot paperwork filing action <laughs> going on <laughs> I, I, I think i would and, agree and it's kind of yeah, yeah. it's not like that all the time but there have been a couple episodes where i felt like it was a bit of a drag and the kind of the the highlight moments were a little fewer and far between than i would have liked but i mean any shows any show where they're of this type where they're it's focused on characters and you know not so much plot I, I guess you need a sort of frame of reference or like something they can do or like have small talk about right. that in order to frame the yeah, characters, I, I guess. Almost, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I get where it's almost unavoidable. From, right? So, I mean, and, and I don't think it's to the degree that it makes the show unwatchable yeah. or something, but just some I mean, episodes they, of it. Like they, they basically introduce that play to get rid of it. Like, right. That at that point, when once they start working on the play, the play becomes the like go to metaphor slash it's the uh, framing right. device for all of the character development like, stuff. Like, like I, I feel like it is specifically the student council bit because in Iwazuku, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, like okay, so like I have a weirdly specific thing for photography, obviously, but I I feel like the fact that they center all their stuff around like a club where people are like doing something and having fun makes that sort of like meat meat and potatoes dialogue a bit more interesting than the student council stuff, which a is kind of boring, and b we don't have any frame of reference for because obviously none of us have ever served on a Japanese high school student council. Yeah, and even if we did, student council is not exactly the most exciting uh, uh, <laughs> topic to devote screen time to. But uh... you're basically an unpaid knock. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's the disciplinary committee. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a wing of the student council. Yeah, sure. I guess. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think Zig was trying to set up a transition for our next show. Which yeah, I'd be fine with that. Sure. Which is uh. Irozuku, The World in Colors. I am not watching the show at all, so you guys are going to have to kind of take the lead on where we're at with this. But uh, based on the episode titles, did she find her grandmother in the in the past? Is that where yes. we're at? Yep, her manic yep. manic pixie dream grandma. Like, <laughs> How can I start? That might be the episode yeah, title for this. But yes. Okay, uh, first of all, um, this show is just Haruhi. Uh- <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yes, I mean, oh. gran- Grandma is kind of Haruhi, oh, slightly less 
shitty version of Haruhi. I don't know. She sent her granddaughter back in time irreversibly. <laughs> I, I think well, they're, they're still very clear on that. <laughs> Future grandma and current grandma are very different characters. Let's yeah. Um, yeah, go on, Aqua. I mean, this is a fairly, I don't know, box standard, indeed, magic, manic pixie dream girl kind of show, except with friendship instead of romance. Um, it has all of the trappings of a... Whoa, whoa, wait. It has all of the trappings of a standard uh, PA work show, which is um, hobby, artistic hobby, gets used as beautiful framing device, and pair the spares. Oh, the pair the spares. Right, like every... <laughs> the, the, all the side characters are designed in pairs so that they can pair off inevitably at the end. Uh, right? yes. like, we, we were just talking about how unfair it is that we like typecast Kyoto animation, but I want to be clear, typecasting PA works is absolutely 100% yes. accurate. They have yes. like, three different shows they make. Like One of them is like spunky high school girls or young adults like try and take over a failing business or run like... <laughs> Like one of no, them, that is exactly. Yeah. I know that's <laughs> yeah. why I'm one, laughing. Like one of them is like the weird pining high school romance come drama, which is what this is, and the third one is seriously a. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the eccentric family. <laughs> I always forget I that might, this show is a PA I work show like because it I, doesn't quite feel like a. Yeah, PA because it doesn't show. look like a PA work show. <laughs> it, has, it is. I, it is the dragon maid of PA works, yeah. but. Anyway, like, um, sorry, Aqua, you were saying. Uh. Um, no, I think, like, well, well, I mean, that was, that's, like, my main gripe with this show. The pair of disparisiness is very obvious, and it is kind of a problem because the side characters haven't really been all that well developed, aside from the fact that they are nice to main girl, and like, they're sort of quirky, and they tease each other, but they're sort of interchangeable. <laughs> like, I, I hope I, they do. One might say boring. Yeah. I, I would kind of extend that criticism to almost all the characters, to be honest. And I don't mean that to be as damning an indictment <clears throat> as it sounds, but like, I, I think this show is like well written, beautifully animated. I think that like the basic story stuff is not terrible, but I, I don't think they're doing a good job of characterization. And I might, I kind of like have the opposite issue to you i think aqua i don't think main girl is very interesting i actually oh, no I, no i mean but at least she has a thing you know but but her like, thing is so nebulous and like they don't yeah, do yeah. thing with it like is again like they've established that she literally cannot see color and like but is she, is she depressed about that? Kind of, maybe. But like, they, there's no sort of attempt to dig into how this affects her psyche. And also, like, I'd be kind of remiss if I'm mentioning plenty of people are colorblind in the real world. And it, like, it's I'm not going to say it's not a big deal because I'm, you know, I'm not in their shoes. But they certainly don't let it get in the way of them leading an active and normal life. Yeah, you know? I mean, and, this show was way better. Would have been way better if the cannot see color was just a blatant fucking metaphor for yeah. depression but it isn't right. she literally I, cannot see color I, and I, she's I, sad about that like they kind of just don't like she's not like they haven't made any attempt to develop her character you know she's still just sort of sad and bewildered a lot right. yeah. which is why like i think the stuff about her meeting the grandma and like 
learning magic with Grandma to like accept that part of herself that she doesn't really like is way more interesting than the I'm colorblind but can only see color through this one dude's pictures, yeah, which yeah. seems like a total incidental side plot to the hmm. she learns to accept herself hmm. plot. Like I, hmm, a PA work show <laughs> that is trying to be a slice of life romance, but they put a bunch of weird sci-fi magic bullshit onto uh, it. Hmm. The sci-fi <laughs> magic stuff's more interesting, though. Is why. And, like one of the things I will say is that I think the show has become considered to be more interesting since Genki Grandma turned up, because like she she injects a certain amount of energy, which is like like you could conceivably describe most pa work shows as sleepy let's say you know even when they're not actually set in sleepy small town japan they tend to be highly reminiscent of sleepy small town japan and like the appearance of genki grandma has done two things one it's given like the show a bit of a shot in the arm in terms terms of like energy and like some some simple but effective visual gags and stuff like that and two like i said it has actually given uh what's mango's name hero he told me like it actually has given her an objective beyond the sort of nebulous i guess i should try and like convince this dude to help me see colors again you know and for that reason i thought the last episode we saw which was episode five not the just aired episode six was one of the better ones because like you had like they they had the party which meant that you get got all the character the party was so dumb i mean it was, sorry like took, okay like, so there's this whole subplot about how one of the side girls likes and one of the other guys but oh no, that uh, she thinks that guy likes the main character who can't see color, and so they have this party, and she makes like these colorful rabbit cookies because she likes rabbits, and then the the boys bring their stuff to the party, which is all just like fried food, so it's like French fries and like Big fried chicken fries. and fried stuff <laughs> because. And I'm like, oh, it's because they're dumb guys and they yeah. like to eat fried food. That's fine. But then the girl gets mad because she's like, oh, no, all this food is brown. That means that he's trying to be considerate to the colorblind girl by making all the food one shade. And that means he likes her and not me. And I'm going to be so mad about this. Uh. <laughs> and, uh, like, and also, like... Like they're, they're playing like you know oh like sad like you know rabbit girl loves her childhood friend but she's worried about like damaging their existing relationship so she'll never confess to him which is like one of the most cliched plot lines you can possibly play and they do that but it's not done terribly like you know there's there's care and attention given to like the framing of scenes and the acting and the like dialogue which make it I, I mean what i'm trying to say is that i feel like the production value of this show lifts it above average sure. i'm not saying that as a backhanded compliment because i don't mean it's just oh po works make things look pretty i think that like there's a care given to like i said the scripting the framing like just the general dialogue i think yeah i think all the production stuff is like really good um i just am continuously baffled by the actual content of the show it's certainly kind of weird <laughs> i do love how uh, magic is pre- is like shown in this uh, super mundane yeah. Yeah. where it is basically like it is it's like it's like how we treat magic in our world like stage magic like magic tricks 
Like, oh, I have this friend and he knows magic. Ooh, come on, Bob. Can you make some sparks? Wow. But where I did mean, the lighter fluid come from? Yeah, that is, I mean, that is how magic is portrayed. My family runs like, oh, a magic shop down the road. You go, yeah, you go to the magic shop and you buy some, like, magic powder yeah. that can, like, it, make fireworks. Ooh. It, it feels like an evolution of some of the stuff I liked in the ancient Magus's Bride, where, like, there it was like we're using magic to solve relatively mundane problems. And here it's like everyone is using magic to solve relatively mundane problems because there is no shroud there is no secret you know magic is power yeah. don't the forget world. there's also future stuff and mm. yeah it, <laughs> I, um, this show is probably like they had two ideas like yeah, what if we make sleeping teenage romance in a world where magic is mundane and time travel from the future and then smash them together two great tastes that don't go great together <laughs> yeah. yeah i i like like i i think that uh, like i'm i would never describe it as like a masterpiece or the best show of the season or anything but but it's cute and it's fun and like i said those high production values do do an awful lot it is the comfort food show of this season for me yeah i just want to clarify for anybody listening and not familiar with the show when we're referring when we were referring to genki grandmas uh this is because the main character has gone uh, back in time and has met her grandmother as a teenager in school and not literally an old woman bouncing around and acting like Haruhi, which, I don't know. That, to be honest, be I probably job. would be more interested in watching that show. But, um, yeah, just want to clarify that for everyone. But, uh, yeah, this sounds like a uh, pretty... Uh, so I have been watching an old super robot show recently, uh, and in it, uh, in one of the early episodes, um, all the school children gathered, like joined together to take, to like battle a mysterious master gamer who showed up at the local arcade. And of course it's one of their grandmas and it's just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. You know, it's amazing. Um, anyway, sorry, please continue. Yeah. So, um, I don't think we need to continue after that. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I really don't have a good transition out of that one, to be honest. Um, something about magic. I don't know because the next show. <laughs> yeah, magic and technology intersecting also happens in. See, Iro, this is why I need you on every podcast. <laughs> you can find the uh, you can find the connection here. But uh, yeah, let's let's uh, let's move on. Let's have some fun and talk let's about talk about a, a bad show thing. instead. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about that. Certain Magical Index Season 3, so, uh, which is indeed I will, a terrible I will show. I with a confession, which is I've not actually managed to watch any more of a Certain Magical Index because <laughs> Praise there, are, for there that. are a lot of demands on my time and Index <laughs> is not especially high on my list of priorities, no, yeah. despite like, the fact that I enjoyed what I've seen so far. Well, let me... Uh... Let me fill you in then. Uh, you, you haven't missed much. We, we've moved on to uh, another arc. So ep- episode three kind of wrapped up the first intro arc where uh, Toma beats Terra of the Left, who ends up being super lame. And we leave uh, <laughs> we, we leave we leave Toma and uh, C tier uh, waifu Itsua back in Avignon. And we uh, I honestly cannot remember where she came from like she was part of the uh amoxa church with uh anyway she's not important she's like the least she's so she's so low on uh toma's harem bench that doesn't matter but uh so uh we move on to the next arc and 
I think it's worth pointing out for anybody not familiar with Index that the series has like maybe three or four main characters that they kind of bounce around to. And I would say like maybe two out of every three arcs is about Toma, but every now and then you'll get one that is, has not, absolutely nothing to do with him. And, uh, this next arc is one of those. So, um, the next arc is about, as the title of episode four puts it, the dark side of Academy city where we, uh, Oh, Finally, we see the dark side of Academy City after their plot arcs about, like, human cloning and <laughs> mass murder and, like, you know, breaking the laws of reality. And Well, this is this is specifically about the various uh, underground shady organizations with dumb names, uh, like uh, my personal favorite group known as Group. Um, we also see the return of uh, Item, last seen as the villains of uh, Railgun Season 2. Yeah. Uh, any any other ones? Or study here? <laughs> no, study does not appear, but school is very prominent uh, in this one. I think study are <laughs> from, uh, from Railgun. Uh, yeah. And we also see uh, Member and uh, one other... Really? I don't even remember the other one. They weren't really that important member who's has a few rogue members that are trying to kill Alistair Crowley. I don't know. But anyway, all these, all these organizations, all these organizations are kind of going at it. This might have been storytelling wise, one of the worst arcs I've ever seen in the series. And that's saying a lot. Um, I had very little idea what was going on and no explanation is given as to what any of these groups motivations are other than basically the group known as group is trying to stop everybody from getting to Alistair Crowley, who is the, um, so like, isn't he a famous occult something yes. or other? He is a famous, uh, magic person or whatever, but he is also in the index universe, the founder and, uh, leader, I guess, of Academy city, the science. I mean, side. It's worth pointing out. He was, he is explicitly a Satanist. Like, the real Alistair Crowley was, like, into some communing with the devil's shit. Yeah. So, in Index, he's, like, um... Look me up. Yeah, he, in Index, he's, he's like, a dude floating out, floating upside down in a tube somewhere in the underbelly of Academy City pulling the strings. Uh, he's, like, kind of the... One of the main, I guess, bad guys or whatever, but anyway. Uh bunch of people are trying to kill him or something and then i don't know man there's a lot of stuff going on but the most notable thing is uh somewhere in these groups we actually have three of the top five level five espers involved in this mess um which uh so is that so like we... bahamut and ifrit right? <laughs> at the final fantasy espers something like that um but uh, it's also the first time we see the number two Esper, which I don't think we've ever seen him before. You guys can. No, I don't know no, if you guys this remember. is an introduction. Yeah. Yeah. So we meet. Uh, so quick recap on the five of the five Espers, the, the level five Espers. We have um, three of them are in this. The two, the two that aren't are the number five, which is um, I can't remember her name. She's the blonde girl that does mind control that goes to Lisa school. Ki, Lisa Kisokuho Shuku, Shuku, or something. Yes. So she's number like five. Spiderweb stockings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the sparkly eyes. Yes. So she's number five. 
And um, she's not in this one. And, uh, you know, Mikoto Misaka, the railgun herself, she's number three. She's not in this arc. So in this one, we do see uh, um, Mugino. She's the crazy like, you know, AKA like... the... Yeah, so she was like, she was, she's the leader of item, and they were kind of like the main bad guys of Railgun Season 2. Uh, she's like kind of Makoto's sort of arch nemesis because they're kind of similar power levels. Um, she shoots power, she shoots plasma lasers or something. I don't know, but she's kind of evil. Um, so she she's number four. She's in this one because she's part of item. Uh, and then we meet number two for the first time, who is, uh, what's his name? Kakine. Kakine yeah. Um and uh, he's a bad dude. Um, he uses dark matter for his power, which I'm great. Still not fully understanding how it apply, how they are applying it in the show, other than he gets like angel wings and can shoot lasers that accelerate or sure, can't block. Um, yeah, <laughs> this is what it feels so. like when I'm talking about fate being dumb. Oh, I could do this for I could do this for the rest of the podcast. Since accelerate his powers are literally meant to be he manipulates the laws of mathematics. How can anybody shoot lasers that he can't deflect? So the explanation that's given is he can create dark matter, which dark matter is a uh, is matter that doesn't really exist and therefore does not bound by the normal laws. Yeah, of... I knew this. I knew when you said dark matter, I knew that's exactly where you're going. That type of bullshit ass explanation. But you see, you see but you see noble phantasm is being impaled by the idea of <laughs> Yeah, it's yes, so it's the exact same shit. Oh yeah, it totally is. So we meet. They're both equally bullshit. So we meet him as for the first. <laughs> we meet him for the first time as the leader of school, his his organization, and uh, and of course Accelerator is number one, the most powerful Esper. He's in here as well. He's somehow teamed up with Group. Um, also worth noting that we see um, Hamazura, who ends up being like the fourth protagonist. Right, yeah, and he's the. He actually, he actually like literally has no powers. He's like actually the everyman, and for some reason he's hanging out with Item in this arc. Is he but, like uh, their mule or some shit? <laughs> yeah, he's like their driver basically, <laughs> and um, and but yeah, he he doesn't play a huge part in this one, but they're kind of ramping him up to be like the next protagonist. Um, so we'll probably see more of him, but. Anyway, the whole thing was kind of a big mess. A lot of people die, but I guarantee they are not actually dead. Um, they're, they're, it, this being the quote-unquote dark side of Academy City, I feel like they were trying to be like super edgy, like by at least by this show's standards. Is there like so a like, Kabuki show of... equivalent in, in Academy City? Not, not really, oh. no. Okay. It, it but, is uh... like perfectly clean and lovely and wonderful. And, <laughs> like, and most of the inhabitants are meant to be students which means that like there's no cool cd red light districts or anything like that my um my favorite edgelord moment is for some reason accelerator is running around with a gun in this arc because he, he it's just cool he likes to carry a gun and swear a lot so he's shadow um, the hedgehog <laughs> yes he's basically shadow the hedgehog and uh, the at one point form. at one point instead of shooting a guy he shoots himself in the head Persona 3 style and uses his reflection power to like wrap the bullet around and shoot the guy instead of just straight up shooting him because that's... I don't know what you're talking about. That's the coolest thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) Garbage. Um, And then the the arc does... This is the... This does... 
the arc is over like in episode six they wrap it up because and it ends with a showdown between accelerator and kakine which is kind of interesting of course accelerator figures out how to block his his uh, laser beams dark matter laser beams that he can't normally he's not supposed to block and ends up you know kicking kakine's ass and we move on with our lives so and it'll probably be back to toma next week so can i play next week's aqua of the back yeah (laughs) <laughs> yes, Aqua. The, we'll be back to battling with uh, God, the right seat of God, and the, the two remaining members. So uh, Aqua in the back will be next. But yeah, I'm going to play my favorite, a certain magical index game, which is we're now in episode six, right? Yes. Uh, how long has it been since Index actually appeared? Uh, she was in episode it's one, right? Episode one. Yes. So five episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> well, I mean, Toma yeah. hasn't even been in the last three. So, um, it's, yeah. Yeah. A lot. Maybe I didn't miss that much. Huh? Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to, I want to see what kind of, uh, ridiculous excuses they're going to come up with for how some of these characters are not dead, which I, cause I know they are for like, for example, I'm just, I don't even think this is a huge spoiler, but Mugino takes like three bullets to the chest and is clearly dead. But I know she comes back later for sure in the series, so be interesting to see how they come up with that one. But it's that kind of show. I mean, like in a universe where you can like clone people to infinity and like the powers of God literally exist, like that there's there are an infinite number of ways you could bring people back from the dead. You know, coming, coming back from three bullets to the. Coming back from three bolts to the chest is not really that big a deal, I don't think. No, I mean, a... like, you could even pull the, oh, by the way, none of my vital organs were hit shit. You know? uh, she, looked pretty she looked yeah. pretty dead. She looked pretty dead. but uh, yeah. I looked pretty dead in the mornings, too. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, someday I'll have to get you guys to catch up on that. and Oh, we will, don't worry. Experience my... <laughs> My... You just have to wait for Iroh to go on another cruise or some yeah, shit. Exactly. <laughs> calling me out. I mean, Iroh, you don't have to watch it with them. I'm calling you out, you bourgeois shit. <laughs> <laughs> We've already established that Index is better than the Fate Universe, so I mean, it's... Ooh. Fuck off. <laughs> They're equally dumb. I'm not even sure I would say that, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, maybe uh, both sides are bad. <laughs> or maybe, maybe they're all bad. They are all bad. Uh, anyways. Um, I mean, the Fight Universe has Carnival Phantasm and today's menu for the Emir family, which, like, both of which are pretty good, I'm going to say. No, jo- joking know, aside, the original Fate Stay Night and Fate Zero are probably better than anything in Index, but all the expanded universe stuff is... Let's say that, let's say that Fate Zero is better than anything <laughs> in Index. Uh, let's not get into this. This one could run and run and run. We could do an entire podcast about that, and maybe we will someday, but uh, yeah. Anyways, um, moving along... We already did! We already did. I, I, no, I mean specifically the index versus fate debate. Ugh, fine, sure, but uh, sure, sure. anyways, um, let's move along. I did want to. I know we talked about Gridman last episode, but I want to kind of keep touching base with that since that's kind of the big show. There, there is a lot to talk about. Like, there's more. To talk about. There's a lot to talk about, and it's kind of the big show that we're all watching. Yeah. So I want to have. I want us all to have opportunity to talk about it. So, um, and. Uh, Interestingly, the show does air like 
tend to air like literally like an hour before the podcast yeah. records. So we have we're not, getting super hot not takes. All seen the latest episode, but we will endeavor to talk. Oh right, right, Aqua, you have not seen episode six, right? So no, I have we'll, not. I was okay. too busy baking cake. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um so, yeah so uh, since we last talked uh we had episode five and six yeah uh episode five was kind of the pseudo beach closest thing we're gonna get to a beach episode <laughs> right yeah so can, um, we, can i go first on this one yeah go ahead zig go for so, it So i think these two episodes like firstly neither of these two episodes are bad but i think they like represent the two most extreme variations between what people want from Gridman at this point and like what uh you know ugh, um like they they exist on different ends of the spectrum of what this show is like episode five is like a very straightforward mostly like weird comedy come fan service episode like there's lots of extremely egregious fan service which i was not a huge fan of at all uh and like How's the foot? We, we moved from uh, How's the foot we moved from feet to butts. We, we went from feet to butts yeah. in uh, episode still plenty five. of feet in this show. Just to be real, uh, um, like there's there's a cool monster, there's a neat battle, there's a new power up. But I was a little worried after episode five because it definitely felt like the most conventional the show has been in a while. Like they they've got a pattern. Like they they did some fan first service stuff. There was still some character work which was decent, but like they kind of abandoned their weird atmosphere building shit in favor of you know shots of girls in bikinis and stuff like that. Um, episode six is like the complete opposite of that. It's weird. It's incredibly weird. Like they they and it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like they they there's a renewed focus on like character building they very smartly split up the main three characters and then pair each of them with a different character and we get a lot of great like development through that we get some insight into like the mystery which is driving the entire nature of this um of this setup you know like just inferno cop theme shows up inferno cop uh theme shows up they go <laughs> and have coffee in a starbucks whose sign is just a zaku um you know, there's more weird Transformers references. Um, but, like, in all seriousness, like, episode six is, like, the furthest the show has gone in, like, the weird, bizarre, like, atmosphere building style since maybe episode one. And it's, it's like, the most heavy on the character development stuff it's been since episode three. And in both cases, I think that's that's much more interesting to me than episode five. There's like Gridman does not appear in episode six. There's no fight. There's no battle. Like um, they spend all that time on the character stuff instead, and it's really good. Like they even give like Show, who has been like a complete non-entity up to this point, they even give him some interesting character development, which is encouraging because I was worried they were just going to toss him by the wayside pretty much. Um, so, like, I, I was a little worried after five, but they came back real strong with this episode. I think what most impressed me was the way they were able to kind of info dump info dump us on what's going on in in a very interesting way that wasn't just necessarily the characters explaining it. Like we were talking earlier, the, the best part of the episode clearly was they were they were offering a, kind of an explanation of the situation by 
using these like PS one era graphics, <laughs> like, yeah, like, uh, like, 3D yeah. gra- like terrible 3d graphics to like kind of uh, illustrate. And it, you know, it wasn't actually happening. It was just kind of like a presentation thing for the audience, but like to kind of just show what was going on. And, you know, that was really cool. And just, I, I, Overall, I think the show really excels at, you know, the kind of more leaning towards the show don't tell type of storytelling that we all very much appreciate. I mean, I would say that there is a a solid amount of telling in this episode, but they they conceal it in clever ways. Right, you know, right. like, firstly, they try they trust the audience enough to make several conclusions themselves you know like they don't spell out every single detail just the broad things thirdly because they have the three separate characters here they cut between them to establish interesting stuff so like yuta is mostly focusing on like um on like the exposition plot heavy stuff and then you have show who's like doing his own character arc and you have rika who's exploring anti and that whole angle and so like by effectively running these three parallel plot lines it means the show never gets bogged down in in like okay now we're just going to sit and talk for um for like five or six minutes straight instead like they build the mystery effectively they keep switching between the characters and each of those characters like has something interesting to say and do and there's still some real good like Inferno Cup style, just like yeah. jokes in the background yeah. and stuff. There, there's like, some great physical comedy, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's, but like they also use that again, like this is an example of Trigger using their like incredible skill for something more than just like dudes punching dudes, you know, like that, like you, you can see so much in the body language of the characters, you know, the way they shift, the way they like the way their faces move and stuff like that, you know. And again, in the framing of the shots, like G talks a lot about this when he's on, you know, but it shows that Trigger's visual mastery is more than skin deep. Like, the way they compose the shots to, like, convey the emotion that they want is is really fantastic, you know. And and the fact that there's always something interesting visually happens happening makes the talking go down easier. And there's a lot of talking in this episode, but it's still really engaging. Yeah, yeah. What and, he said, and and again, like the reason we're not talking about episode five much is honestly not a great deal important happens. In fact, in retrospect, episode, like the entirety of episode five is largely to set up like one plot point for episode six, um, which you know I won't say straight up, but it's obvious right. which one. Yeah, and um, kind of armed with the knowledge we gain in episode six and some of the implications, um. I'm pretty excited to see like where they go. Um, I mean, I wrote, I pointed out while we were watching is that there is not there is a not zero chance that this is actually a sequel to the original Gridman instead of like a a readaptation. Like it is. All right. So, what are the uh, what are the odds of my prediction last episode that we're going to have a live action segment? I would oh, say it would be so good though. Higher now than they were last episode. <laughs> they, they, have, they have gotten higher since yeah, episode I, I six. I think that would be an <laughs> incredible visual flourish. I'm not sure <laughs> if you could get away with it, um, but like if that if that show just became men in rubber suits at some point, I would go. I would lose my mind. I mean, it wouldn't have to be a very long segment. Just kind of a you know a one off. I mean, like, yeah. 
I still feel like live action Todomatsu showing up might be one of the funniest jokes in Osamatsu san period. So like <laughs> I I would be um well I yeah. I would be extremely into a live Speaking action. of men in rubber suits. Yeah. Lupat's mm-hmm. uh, still been real good. It has been extremely good. Like they they have they've done the thing which Super Sentai occasionally fails to do and actually like mapped out a plot arc for the Red Rangers. <laughs> right. Right. For those not so, in the know, uh, if you may not have listened to certain podcasts, we're talking about Lupin Ranger vs. Patch Ranger, uh, currently airing Super Sentai show. Which, what, you still only watched the one episode, <laughs> right, Joe? Oh, yeah. So are we going to, uh, should we slide into our uh, Tokusatsu yeah, I, update? Yes. I mean, I think we've said everything there is to say about Gridman. You know, like it's super interesting, but it's hard to analyze without knowing exactly where they go next. If that makes sense. Yeah, so, we'll, like, have, I, I think we'll have plenty we'll have of opportunity to. I, and Zig, you're, you and G are still writing posts regularly for yeah, that as well. G and so, I will be doing weekly coverage, and like we get more in depth. Yeah, there. so we have plenty of opportunity to talk about that. So we can. Uh, keep things moving here then if you guys want to uh i'll just turn i'll just turn the show over to you guys if you want to talk about your uh i mean (laughs) i mean there's not Um, too much to say about sentai shows (laughs) yeah like we pound ranger versus pat ranger is still good um they're they're doing good work with like building and like again in any super sentai show you're not going to get like you know incredible levels of character depth and development but they're doing a good job of like building a relatable relationship between the two teams and like bringing them closer together in preparation for the moment when they will inevitably team up officially like they've done it a few times now but it's still very much there are odds with each other you know the only other thing i'll say is that like they've they've gone a surprisingly long time like teasing a villain like we're on what episode 38 now is it something Um, like that yeah. yeah and like the the villain who has appeared in the opening credits since the first episode has appeared like three times in total at this point. Um, yeah. So like, I'm kind of surprised they've had the patience to, uh, to like, to hold out on that. Um, it's, I think I feel like some of the toy seams are starting to show of like, sudden, like we'd spend a pretty large chunk in the middle of just like no new power ups. And suddenly there's a ton yeah, this uh, last episode... It has to do with the fact that toys are released seasonally. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you have a new wave of toys for like a couple of weeks, and then we just go back to filler yeah. stuff, wacky stuff. And like that was especially noticeable on the last episode where it felt like they really had to shoehorn a plot line in to justify a power-up, which is like a, a power-up, by the way, like the, the Sixth Ranger has <laughs> shoulder, has missile launchers on his shoulders and then he has handles on his shoulders that he has to hold himself to fire those <laughs> missiles. It's dumb as hell. Um, uh, but I, I, I would know. say like, I would say like occasional pacing issues aside, they've, they've done uh They've done very well with like adding a human dimension to all like the usual Sentai stuff, and I'm interested to to see like as we come into the finale how where they go with it, which is insane because we've got like another ten episodes probably so like, two and a half months worth. Right. No, but on like, the other on the other side of that is the bad show. <laughs> Carbon Rider Zero is terrible. Like it's oh, it's so bad. 
surprising. You thought the acting, Jell, you thought the acting in Lupin 1 was bad <laughs> compared to compared to the what Gates in Zio. Oh, he's he's so Oh my god. That's that's so, that's some pretty uh that's a pretty bold claim cuz I I don't know if that's even possible. He makes he makes he makes the Lupat guys look like a Laurent Olivier for God's sake. <laughs> like so, one of the major issues. So, like in the latest episode as well, they brought back a super popular ex aid character called Dan Kuroko, whose entire shtick is being like hammier than hammier than ham. Like you think you know everything about hammy acting, but when you see this guy, like it's like a whole universe of pork has exploded in front of you. You know, and like against him, you've got the guy who plays Gates who has trouble like emoting on even a basic level. And they're both bad because like the guy playing Dan like overacts like crazy and the guy playing Gates cannot act. So the net result is you have this horrible clash of <laughs> of like too much and not enough. And it, it's just a complete nightmare. You know, it's like the acting is terrible. The story is awful. Like the characters are ridiculous. Like, like our, our hero, the titular Carmen Rider Zio, is currently hanging out with Dan Kuroto, despite the fact that Dan Kuroto tried to kill a woman in in front of his eyes. Like, like right in front of him, he tried to kill this woman with his bare hands. And like Zio is like, hey, you know, you seem like a cool guy. I think I'll hang out with you for a while because I'd like to learn how to be a ruthless despot as well. And it's just awful. Like, <laughs> what? Like. What? Yeah, no, I mean, that's totally correct. His <laughs> whole ambition is like, I want to become a king. And then two people come in from the future and they're like, guess what? You're going to be the king of everything in the future, but you'll be a bad king. So we're going to stop you. And, and he's, he's like, like, no, don't stop me. I still I'm want to become a king. king. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And like, for the record, I'm absolutely certain 100% that it will be like, aha, I was pretending to be your ally all along so I could discover your weakness. But it's still like, he still willingly threw in his lot with a murderer, you know, like, that's, it's an awful optic. So then also, on top of that, they still have to fit in all the like, because you said this is the one they're trying to fit all the old common writers in. Yeah. So like, so this is another problem, which is this last episode was meant to be dedicated to Carmen Rider O's, which was the 2010-2011 show. But because they got but, this like, guy from this X-Aid X-Aid guy, yeah, who was really popular because people... No, I won't say that. But, um, <laughs> but he was really popular. Like, he was like a mimetic dark horse. Right. Dark, uh, dark horse. Except now this so, means like, X-Aid has shown up twice. Yeah, and, and they so, shown up once. So they devote the whole episode to this guy, and like O's himself shows up for like thirty seconds at the end of the episode. And granted, we've got another episode to go but um, on this arc. But like it, I said this in the thing I wrote. But it feels like Toria telling you this show is more important than this show, which is the absolute kiss of death for something like this. You know, like like you have to make sure you treat them all equally because the idea is it's meant to be a celebration of everything. You know, but like it, it de- definitely feels like they were like, well, we got this guy, so let's insert him into this plot and like shaft the people who enjoyed the show. And for the record, the people who enjoyed the show included me because O's is a good show. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's 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 a total disaster, you know, on almost every level. It's it's a complete nightmare a train wreck like it doesn't even like even the suits and the fights aren't great which is normally like the thing you can rely on toei to be at least competent at you know but like there's still way too much cgi 
there's like you the, the fights don't matter because you don't care about the characters involved you know like half the time the old riders don't like the actual old riders don't even show up like you don't get to see them transform or like see the original costumes or anything like that um and it still has all the time travel related problems where a bunch of stuff doesn't make sense but you're kind of just expected to gloss over it let me so, talk to myself on the phone across six years or something <laughs> yeah it, it's even though, like, you were defeated in the past, so the, like, the timeline which led you to exist in the future should no longer exist, but it's... <sighs> yeah, like, it's, it's absolutely terrible on every single... And, like, I feel like they're, they're past the point where it can be saved now, you know? Like, there would be some hope if we could at least... If the characters seemed at least likeable or interesting, you know, but, but they're not. They're just the worst, and, like... Kamen Rider's had a real problem in recent years with making interesting, likable protagonists, and and they haven't solved that problem here. You know, like they can't act; they're poorly written, which doesn't help with the aforementioned lack of acting. Um, and I, I just want to see them all dead. You know, I want. Sounds to great. You know. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Harsh. I mean, in this show, you might actually want the bad guys to win because, like, the twist is definitely gonna be that they're actually good guys. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you know, at this point, I'm pretty much just watching to see the old riders show up. And yeah, like, I mean, if that guy was strong by now, I believe like... I believe he's showing up in the arc after this. Okay, um, but Gimes, uh... I feel like it's the only one I care about. Well, prepare to not care about him at all, then. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it's stunningly awful, you know. And like the only reason I'm still following it is because of like some bizarre sense of bile fascination. Um, but like, like we were not big fans of Carbon Rider Build, which was the show before this. In retrospect, that thing looks like a mark. <laughs> wow. Oh, All right. Boy. Well, yeah, that's all. That's all that is another uh, another show you're writing about regularly, so everyone can. Reason, yes. Somehow. Uh, <laughs> for now. Uh, uh, so everyone can stay tuned for more regular coverage on that. But uh, yeah, sounds great. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So you guys want to do your uh, periodic shout out to Pokemon Sun and Moon, which continues on. So good. All eternity. It's yeah. So I, good. I, I feel like the the past few episodes have not been as fantastic as some of them have been, but there was that episode where they put on the school play, which was just oh, was so good. Featuring uh, cameo appearances from Lena Inverse, Ray Ayanami. Um, um, oh, is it? Hello Kitty. Is it still uh, the yeah. 90s in Pokemon yeah. world? Uh, Tana. Is it, uh... <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah. uh, Tana. so basically... Uh, the quick sub is they're doing a school play and Team Rocket shows up to crash the school play. But uh, uh, point out for the explicit reason, there is no reason other than the fact that Jesse cannot stand the idea that there is a play somewhere without her <laughs> in it. So she shows up to like fucking ruin this school play. Right. Uh, and uh, Jesse is voiced by Megumi Hashibara. And so, uh, so there's a like quick montage of like all the characters she has played. Uh, yeah. Like yeah, so like, like all-purpose cat- cultural cat girl Nuku Nuku is there. Wow. Paprika is there. Like 
all of these like insane deep cuts and then there's like a whole bunch of other anime references there's like that was it the charger bug sequence that has a gal Gaiga reference in it it's a it's yes. gigantor is it a gigantor reference yeah. Sorry. Um, there's the Revolutionary Girl Retainer reference, which was sweeping around the internet for a while. You know, it's. I mean, you haven't even mentioned the best part of this of that episode, which is the Pokemon playing themselves wearing costumes of themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think it was. No, I think you were right when you said it was the, the Pokemon. What's that mobile game? Where everything's boxy. And so, like, Pikachu comes out just wearing a boxy Pikachu outfit. Yeah, as like their dumb way of shouting good. out that game, I guess. I don't know. There's that uh, bit where like Ash dresses up as what's the name of that Pokemon? Uh, like Necro- like Necrozma, the- yeah. Necrozma, and like with Pikachu hidden in one of his legs, and to generate like to make Necrozma grow, he just has Pikachu like thundershock himself repeatedly. Um, it's... The sequence where Pikachu grows giant by standing against the screen. Yeah, you know all that. Uh... It's- that show's it's, so good. Still an extremely good show. You know, like it it it's it it's so good at like the right comedy stuff that like it's astonishing that that um they didn't embrace this all along. There was the episode where like uh the professor has to maintain his mysterious secret identity as Royal Mask from his <laughs> wife, which is really his wife who has like a bigger crush on Royal Mask than on him. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's yeah, it 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 just remains like a delightful right comedy little thing, you know, like they their um like the animation remains as impressive as ever when they want to turn it on, which is obviously a limited amount of time because they're not making this thing with a huge <laughs> budget um and like we're, we're gearing up now to like enter the let's go pikachu let's go ev stuff um because like an ev is on its way to alola so um it, it'll be interesting to see whether they t- whether they like transplant that gang back to kanto where those shows are set or whether they just play out a bunch of tangentially related stuff in Alola still. But a key art has Brock and Misty in it. Uh, it does, yes, as well. And uh, But also how? So, yeah, I don't know. You know. And uh, next episode, Team Rocket uh, look, will probably acquire a stuffle. So, you know, sure. high stakes, high tension. Exciting. <laughs> all exciting. Uh, I mean, yeah. Like, have it's we, so have we talked about, have we talked about the Mimikyu yet? Uh, I feel like we mentioned that last time, but there is there is a Mimikyu, a ghost-type Pokemon, except this one is actually a ghost. So it is a ghost-ghost Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> this is somehow a distinction which exists in this sure. world. Uh, uh, it, it is it, just continues to be really, like, really fun, extremely low stakes. Yeah. Just like comfort food. <laughs> like I think the thing that they worked out is like they did the Sentai thing where they realized if they treat everything super seriously, no matter how minor it is, it becomes way funnier. Um so like everything yeah. becomes like a matter of life and death. It's super funny and super clever and and just a real good feel good show. You know, I would encourage anybody to seek it out and watch it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's nice. pretty much it. Life, death, taxes, and Pokemon continues on. <laughs> um, all right, and isekai shows. Don't forget those. <laughs> I I, 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 I feel like the I feel like the isekai thing will, if not pass, die down eventually. But Pokemon will remain forever. 
Um, I mean, eventually, it yes, but like the sun will burn out as well at some point. So, you know. <laughs> the death of the universe. Yeah, all of that stuff. By then, we can buy the 37th generation Pokemon game Pokemon Empty Void of Space on Pokemon <laughs> Dark Matter. Uh, <laughs> I did that. I was like, out of Pokemon Global Apocalypse, everything after that was just like a, a sellout, quite frankly. Anyway, uh, let's uh let's wrap it up then. Um, we'll uh well we'll have to touch base with Pokemon and whatnot again later, but uh let's do our um usual wrap up housekeeping here. You can read everything we write at theglorioblog.com. Follow us on Twitter at theglorioblog. We are on YouTube where we post the podcast videos uh, at some random URL because we need more subscribers for a real one. Please subscribe on our YouTube channel. And uh, you can listen to our... Uh, no, nope, oh, the anime police are here. I gotta wrap this up. Gotta wrap this up fast. Uh, listen, you can listen to our other podcast, Legend of the Glorio Heroes, uh, with Iroh and G yeah, yeah. as they go through their... As they continue their journey through the Sea of Stars, watching Legend of the Galactic Heroes, the original OVA, which... Yeah, next episode's uh, going to be a big one, so... Yes, we just wrapped up the first season of that, so we're going to kind of have a special episode happening next episode, so stay tuned next week for that. Um, You know, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Am I missing anything else? We're good. I think we're good. No, officer, I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to do no, I didn't mean to insult Mr. Busk. I was just making a well intentioned. <laughs> oh yes. Joke. That's what no, it was. No, I, I do Damn. accept his supremacy. Do not oh, do, do, do not worry. Look, look, I have all these Grimes albums right here. I I I, I honor Mr. Musk, but sometimes you need to No, 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 officer. No, sorry, officer, officer. Well, if you, there's you no podcast if there's no podcast in two weeks, you know what happened, folks. So uh That'll Did do you it. see Grimes tweeted out the word hentai yesterday? <laughs> with, with, oh no! With no context? I couldn't believe <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find it, but yeah. No, right. sorry, it was, it was quote, hentai is important. Oh, is that why we <laughs> talked about that in the beginning? Oh, we need to go. Yeah, alright, let's wrap this up. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you. Thousands. Goodbye, I'm stopping. I'm hitting the stop button. <laughs>